Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Skidmore Studio is looking for a senior graphic designer in Detroit, Michigan. For remote work, the Wikimedia Foundation is looking for a lead UX designer for their product design and strategy group. Design Action Collective is looking for a lead web designer in Oakland, California, or remotely. And Development Seed is looking for a machine learning engineer in Washington, D.C., Lisbon, Portugal, or remotely. Companies, stop making excuses on your D&I efforts and post your job listing with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And oh, look at this. We have another review from Apple Podcasts. This is a five-star review. This is coming from CS Running Man, and it's titled Awesome Show. Here it is. Insightful interviews and fascinating guests. Great show. CS Running Man, thank you so much for that great review. Short, to the point. Love it. Truly appreciate it. Again, thank you so much. All right, now let's go ahead and jump into this week's interview. I'm talking with Camille Selvon Abrahams, an educator, digital activist, and head of the animation department at the University of Trinidad and Tobago in Port of Spain, Trinidad. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Camille Salvon Abrahams. I am the lead for animation at the University of Trinidad and Tobago. I also consider myself a digital activist. I do a lot of intervention work using digital media in prisons, in at-risk areas, in schools. Yeah, that's me. Nice. Before we get more into what you do and your background and everything, you know, something I've been asking everyone this year is just kind of how they're holding up right now during this pandemic. So how have you been doing? And I guess more importantly, like how has the island been taking the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we've been pretty good in following the rules. But at the same time, like with the rest of the world, when there are things that that happen, that naturally happens, like elections, for instance, Mm -hmm. things change. So we were doing pretty, pretty well. And then we had an election a few months ago, and then we sort of went a bit crazy. But we sort of getting it right now. But I do know that, you know, the mental health of our people, that's that's really, really in question. And especially what I'm seeing is that the mental health of creative people that's being affected in such a dramatic way. I, I'm not sure if this it's the same there for you all, but it's really affecting us. I would say it it probably is based on where you're at in the United States because different cities and different states just have different levels of kind of restrictions based on where you're at. Like if you're in California, for example, I know they've been mostly on lockdown since I want to say like March or April, but I'm in, in Atlanta in Georgia and we've only had about three weeks of lockdown and that was back in April. So we've wow. mostly been open, like businesses have been open and everything. So right. it varies kind of based on, on where you are. I mean, I think certainly there's still the lack of big social gatherings and things like that where people are getting right. together, but also some folks are saying we're going to get together anyway. So it's, right. yeah, <laughs> I think if anyone has been watching the news about what's happening in the United States, we do not have it together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we look on in amazement. But you know what? One of the things I always say to my American friends, because I have loads of American friends, mm-hmm. is that we really believe that you all will get this. It will work out. I appreciate hearing that because <laughs> the day that, that we're recording this, we just had 
our only vice presidential debate for the campaign season. And yeah, a lot of people are just, it's, it's kind of wild right now. So I appreciate those words of support. We have feet. <laughs> what are your work days kind of looking like right now? So, well, at the university, we've gone 100% online. So although we've, we've sort of opened up a bit more, we've kept safe. So our training, definitely directly straight online. We are allowed to go into work some days, and that really helps because getting out of your room and these four walls, of course, we appreciate that. But most of the, when it comes to the education side of things, it's 100% online. Okay. Has that been a big adjustment for the students? Um, we were getting there, but one of the things I, I think that Corona brought with its ugly head is it pushed us into the future. And if you know anything about the Caribbean, you know, we are based on a sort of a colonial construct that just went went on through the years that we kept. And now what it did was sort of really pushed us into the future. So it, it kind of worked for us, but it took some adjustment. Nice. What sorts of uh, projects are you working on right now? I know you mentioned the school, but what other things are you working on? All right. Well, I am also the founding director of Full Circle Animation Studio. So we are continuing work, work from home. And uh, I think that's what is happening a lot with animation studios. That's what I'm hearing from my international friends who are doing these sort of things similar to what we are doing, that we are working from home. And I think animators and maybe creatives on a whole, we kind of okay with that, you know, we, we, at least from me, my experience being an animator is you enjoy that insular thing, you enjoy going in yourself, you know, so working from home is not a big deal for us. So a lot of the work now actually is going on from home, we're doing a lot of commercial still, we're actually doing some outsourcing work from international studios, so very small jobs that we actually function in. So it's a good thing for us. We, we're able to adapt. Nice. Earlier on in the year, I talked to uh, a guy, uh, Arthel Isom. He has a an animation studio in Tokyo. And he was sort of saying pretty much the same thing. Like they've been working from home. Some of them do come into the office. I think when I talked mm -hmm. to him, he was in the office, but it was only him and like one other person. Yeah. But yeah, it seems like for animation, it seems like that's actually preferable because it's so detail oriented. Yes, yes, it actually works. And I spoke to one of the big agencies that deal with the software, Toon Boom Animation in Canada, and they said, because of this shift, companies are now thinking, well, okay, we'll just continue like that in COVID or no COVID, working from home for animation and game and game art. It's working for the industry. Now, you founded Full Circle Animation Studio like mm -hmm. several, several years ago. How has the company really changed over the years? Quite a bit. When I returned from London, I studied at Goldsmith University and I, I made a, a decision to come back to the Caribbean. That was a big step because Trinidad and Tobago, we are oil and gas country. That's what economy is based on. So me coming back and doing the creative digital art type career obviously was a challenge because that's not what we are accustomed to. So coming back was difficult. It took about five years to kind of get on my feet as far as the studio. And after about the 10th year, I brought in a business partner. His name is Jason Lindsay, who had a very strong business background. So with that sort of um, partnership where you have the creative and the business, it really, really supported the the studio from becoming a you know a micro studio into a relatively successful outsourcing studio here in the Caribbean. So that's kind of how it, it's moved. And now we are we are considered one of the top outsourcing studios in the Caribbean. We've outsourced work for HBO, some of our work you know you see on HBO on Cartoon Network. We've we actually have our hand in international productions. Very nice. Let's talk about your process. Like when a new animation project comes in to the studio, what does the process look like to sort of get started and to get working on it? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the process is very much based on the typical pipeline for animation outsourcing, right? So if, for instance, we are doing 2D animation, our the software that we use kind of has a have a, a built-in pipeline. So so for instance, Toon Boom and Toon Boom Harmony is something that most 2D animators would use. Mm -hmm. And we follow the we follow the model that the studio would would share with us. So we often don't have too much 
of a say as to the process of the pipeline. And the kind of work we do, the outsourcing work, there isn't that element of design that we put to that job. So it's different to when we have intellectual, our own IPs, which we also do. So I can tell you about that process. But when it comes to the outsourcing, we follow that sort of typical pipeline. When it comes to our own IP intellectual property, that goes through a wonderful process where we honestly feel like as Caribbean people, our voice is unique. But at the same time, our voice is unique. And in order for it to be heard on the international stage, we have to, of course, embrace a sort of global approach to it. So that is taken into consideration, even even how things look. We don't want to just share our stories with the Caribbean. We want to share our stories to the world. So the first part, of course, is the storytelling. That is a major, major part of the process for us because we feel like we need to be authentic. And I'm sure, Maurice, you would know about that authenticity when it comes to our images and our voices and our stories. That is absolutely lacking. So a big part of it for us is about telling that story in the most authentic way. And of course, once we get that, we then work on the character design. We, environment design is also important because we also want to show the world that ooh, we have beautiful environments here in the Caribbean that you could enjoy in your, it is part of our story too. It is part of what we do. So if you look at some of our IPs, our products, you would definitely see that this is a unique looking production because you'd see elements of the Caribbean in it. You'd hear elements of the Caribbean music in it. And of course, you'll hear what you're hearing right now from me, which is my authentic Caribbean voice. It follows a sort of a typical um, pipeline, but certainly we go a bit extra in making sure that we stamp our identity a bit on there so that it doesn't fit into the, it doesn't just follow and regurgitate what is out there. Nice. Can you talk about some of those IPs so like we can check them out, hopefully, if they're I'm assuming you have them on YouTube or something like that where people can watch well, them. Right. So what we have are a lot of IP in in not production, pre-production stage. So we took over the past two years, we've attended Kid Screen in Miami. I don't know if you know about that huge conference, but it's mm-hmm. Kid Screen in Miami, and we did pitches. One of the pitch that actually did really well was one called um, DIY Zoe. This was done by my studio. If you go onto the website, you would see a little bit about that, DIY Zoe. And actually, we are in discussion right now with some possible investors to take it to the next level. But a lot of our things are pre-production. And you would see shorts, a lot of shorts on our on our website, Anime Carib Festival. So so they're not out there as board work yet. They okay. are pre-production stages. Gotcha. And what, I guess, does the timeline look like? Because I would imagine for outsourcing, it's probably a lot smaller or a lot shorter of a timeline than for your own IPs. Yeah. And it depends on the kind of outsourcing because there are are different layers to outsourcing. So you could do, you could do outsourcing for just ink and paint. So if let's say it's the Simpsons, all you have to do is color and that's literally dropping the color, right? So that's really quick, really fast, but of course, really cheap. Yeah. And then you could you could go up the next level where you would do cleanup, which is basically the lines around the character, the drawing of the character. And that that is a, takes a little more artistic element from the animators where they have to make sure the lines are refined. And that takes a bit longer and pays probably a little bit more. And then you can go up to rigging stage where you rig characters. You could go up to animating which is the most difficult one to do, the most challenging one to do. But of course, it pays a lot more because this is where the the real creativity comes out. I think there are a shortage of those animators, especially in our our group, you know, in our our cultural group. There are not many black animators. Hmm. Yeah, we've had a few here on... Revision path. I know we've had a lot of illustrators, but yeah, animators, I think that's a, a totally different thing once you're adding motion to something because exactly. there's, there's just a lot more that has to go into it in terms of, like you said, the rigging and characters and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, and, and it's something that we are pushing at the university. So the university program is a BFA in digital media arts and our specialization is animation gaming, uh, game art, sorry. 
and music technology. And the focus really is to get a cadre of animators because we have identified that. We have identified that there are not a lot of black animators. You have illustrators, you have designers, you have character designers. But I can tell you for sure, because I have around 20 years experience in this, we don't have many animators. So that's where we sort of pushing a lot of our studio students to kind of go in, in that direction because we also want to support a diverse industry. We are actually speaking to producers right now, black producers, black directors, some very, very um, popular ones that are doing popular projects to actually do that kind of outsourcing here in the Caribbean. Because if you really want to be authentic in your diversity and the fact that, you know, we're looking at, you know, the impact on social injustice. Therefore, we need to create balance. We have to push work out to studios that are representative of ourselves. So we do that in our festival here in Anime Caribbean. So we've had people like Jamal Bradley, who's, who's worked on some of the biggest films out there, animated film. We had Bruce Smith, Bruce Smith, who is the director for Proud Family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's been to our festival maybe three times and he's uh, what we would consider a mentor. Right. So we also had someone called uh, Tyree Delahy, who was sort of a consultant on, on Hair Love. We premiered Hair Love here the day after it was premiered in, in, in America. So we had the Caribbean premiere here. And the whole idea of what we're doing here in the Caribbean is almost like a movement because our collaborators in the U.S. know about what we're doing. So you'd find that we could call him Bruce Smith, you know, and say, listen, you know, we, we really want you to, to support us here. And he will be here. You know, he's been here two or three times. So, so there is that diaspora thing that is happening that I, I wish the audience could understand because I'm speaking as a Caribbean people, but I have a global reach. I've lived in the UK. I have family in the US. I've been to Africa. I've been to Latin America. And one of the things that I think, Maurice, we as creatives have to do now, especially in the digital field, is to kind of recreate that triangle that occurred centuries ago. So th there is a triangle that took slaves and took our people from West Africa to the Caribbean to the US right? And to Europe. And we now have to turn that on its head. And that's the kind of discussions I'm having with people like Jamal Bradley and Bruce Smith and all the others who've been here at the festival and who often when they're here, they will be like, oh my God, I am in some of the most wonderful places in the US that doing animation on this high level. And it took me to come to a Caribbean island to see my brothers in animation, Right. It took me jumping on a plane to come back and see black people that look, you know, people that look like myself in a huge audience talking about talking about animation. So so that's one of the things that I really, really would love to get across to the our diaspora is hundreds of millions of people. Do you understand that? Right. If we really take that into consideration, think about that as far as eyes, people that are going to look at our content. We won't need anybody else. If we would learn to look at ourselves and appreciate ourselves, that's kind of what the kind of work I'm doing when it comes to animation and digital media. I love it. I love to hear that. That is something that I tried to do also even with Revision Path. I mean, even though I'm located here in the States and I'd say the majority of the guests that we've had on the show are in the United States, you know, like I'm talking to you in the Caribbean. We've talked to other designers in the Caribbean. We've managed to talk to designers throughout Europe, throughout Africa, in parts of Asia, in Australia. And I think when people will look at something like Revision Path and see all the episodes, they're like, oh, it's just this monolithic set of black designers. But I'm like, no, there is so much diversity and richness in here and there's like you said there's that diasporic connection between mm -hmm. like people here in the united states and black people all over the world yeah and that needs to be made public i think we one of the things i see about animation and design because i don't know if you know maurice i don't think this is in my on my website but i am originally a graphic designer that's where i started Okay. So at, yeah, at college, I did graphic design. Back then, I'm seeing my age now, but back <laughs> then it was it was called commercial art. 
that's what it was called. So I did graphic design. I understand the principle of design and color theory and things like that. But then I went on to animation, but applied those same things to animation. One of the things that we as a diaspora have to do now is to not even ask permission to tell our stories. That is no more. No more asking permission to tell our stories. We have to take what is happening now with technology, because right now it's exponential. It's moving. It is fluid. We have to take this and we have to run with it. We have to reconnect, go back to that diaspora thing. One of the things that I also always feel is, and it will be good to hear your feedback on this. I I feel as if Black America does not connect or understand how important and how connected we in the Caribbean are to you. So what you go through in America, we feel it. Don't think I don't know that I wasn't up nine o'clock last night watching Kamala. Don't think I wasn't doing that. <laughs> I was there, right? Mm-hmm. We feel your pain. We feel your pain. We were on the same ship. We came from, from West Africa with you. It's just we were thrown off in the Caribbean and then you all went on. So there is that understanding that need to happen for us to realize that how much more we connected to you and how much the same way how slavery affected you, it affected us and it affected us in a different way. But how are we now going to use the tools that we have, which is for me, the digital media, the design, the ability to create games, the ability to now tell our own stories. How are we now going to use this time to really, really make it have long term effect on, I know this will sound crazy, but social justice it's what I do in, t- in the prisons. And I wish I could talk a little bit about that because... Yeah, please uh, talk about that. Yeah. So the work that I do, I feel like storytelling is one of the most important elements of animation and design for us as a people, right? Because often we have shied away from appreciating ourselves or even representing ourselves. I want to share a story with you where when I was teaching a class once, I gave my students here an exercise to create an animated version of themselves, so an animated character of themselves. And about 20, 25% of the, the characters that came back had pink skin and blue eyes. And I didn't have white students then. I, I didn't have a single white student then. But it showed me then that there was a, a, an element of self-loathing that needed to be addressed that why should you feel that you shouldn't represent your beautiful black color? Why shouldn't you feel proud of showing your wonderful tuft of hair? You know, so that was a that was an exercise that really pushed me to do what I'm doing, because I feel if there is self-loathing, if, if I can look at myself, if, if as a young man, I can look at myself in the mirror and hate myself, then I could look at the young man that facing me and I could shoot him. I could kill him because I, he, he looked like me. So therefore I could, you know, it's okay. And therefore storytelling is how I put those guys to sit down and really reflect and tell their stories, right? And break it down into, into the story arc, right? The traditional story arc and then break away the story arc. Because the traditional story arc in animation was really based on Greek mythology. It was based on, on um, Joseph Campbell's story aligning all the Greek gods and stuff. That's not our story. That is not our story. But yet that is what is pushed. That is what we see on television. That is what we see on film. So therefore, when we see ourselves and we start to tell our stories in a unique way, we kind of reject it. We reject it. So I'm I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I, I feel strongly about that. I mean, there are some parts in there you were saying that were giving me goosebumps, particularly when you were saying about like self-hate and how that can in turn kind of fuel aggression towards other black people. Like mm-hmm. I mean, there's that saying, you know, hurt people hurt people, but when you put it in those in that context, that mm-hmm. ooh, that's powerful. Wow. Yeah. So it goes in our training, our the head of our Game art, game art department is someone called Kaifas, Kaifas Moore. And Kaifas was one of four lead artists at EA EA Games, right? So he was in California, spent most of his life there. His uncle was um, Kwame Ture, who you would probably know as Stokely Carmichael. 
and who was a, a huge freedom fighter in America and in the Caribbean. He has Trini roots. So Kaifas, who was one of the first black lead artists in EA Games, had to deal with that in games. So he would say to me, we have a long friendship, and he said to me, Camille, at the time when the games were happening, I, I didn't see any characters that looked like me. So if you go back to gaming and games, you would see that there were no characters that were black. So he himself had to dig deep and find a way to kind of slowly make it happen. Now you go in and you see that there are black characters, but that didn't happen by mistake. That didn't happen by, oh, a decision was made upon, no, it had to be done. And that's the kind of activism I'm talking about. I won't go into detail as to how it was done, but it's the kind of activism that needs to be done. We need to push our black characters in animation, we need to show that the darker skin tone, it's wonderful and beautiful. And that's when I talk about activism in digital media, that's what I'm talking about. When I go into the prisons and I have these young men that are like so, so lost and we start to talk about storytelling and telling their own stories and talking about characters and start to create characters that look like them, you see their face light up. You see their face lighter because then they're starting to see themselves, which does not happen. It doesn't happen. Wow. I want to just kind of switch gears here a little bit because I, I definitely, you know, I'm getting from everything that you just said that you have a, a burning passion for this. So I'm curious on where this really kind of originated. So I'm assuming you grew up in Trinidad? Yes, I was born in Trinidad. I left Trinidad at age 21. So most of my grounding was here. Uh, my father was a community leader. He was an activist in his own way. But education was very, very big for him. That's, that was like his main thing. So he would say to us, I can't give you a car, I can't give you a house, but I need to give you the tools of education. So he himself was a teacher. But I think what was beautiful about that and what kind of impacted my life was that he saw that science and art was okay. And again, going back to the whole colonial construct, and I do believe you would have felt that in America too, but in the, the colonial construct in the Caribbean was that sciences are what was important. Sciences, you become a doctor, you become a lawyer. But my parents pushed that, okay, you're bright, you're doing all the sciences. If you want to do art, it's okay, go ahead, do the art. Right. So I kind of fell on, a, on the fence. I'm creative. I'm artistic. I could draw. I could, you know, I could animate. But I also understand technology. I understand how, you know, you open up a piece of software for me. I just go through it once. I know how to do it. And I think that was because my parents encouraged that. They didn't pull, pull it apart. So when I was about 21, I think 21 or 22, I left. I went to London with my then fiancé. And that's where the animation started because I did a teaser at the University of uh, Goldsmiths University and I touched on journalism, I touched on film, I touched on animation and I touched on radio. And the moment I touched animation, I realized, whoa, this is what I want to do. This is it. I'm doing this. And that's it from there. I, I, I got into it. Now, doing the animation is one thing, but the work that you, you're talking about, that passion that you're talking about, I think it occurred in my experience in London. You know, I, I didn't face too much racism in, in London, but I did face it. I was put in my place often that I didn't belong right in subtle ways that I yeah you don't belong here and I remember I went into my degree with that kind of it wasn't anger it was I, I was kind of really concerned that you know I, I, I feel trapped like I want to express myself as a Caribbean person but I feel like mm, the system I'm not too sure if they will accept that and I made a conscious decision that my film I'm going to do it and I'm going to use a Caribbean voice I'm just going to use a Caribbean voice and I'm going to tell a Caribbean story. And I did a film called The Masterpiece that was based on colonization in the Caribbean, but it wasn't narrative based. It was, you had to dig deep to get the message. And the story basically was about an artist that had to create two worlds and those two worlds, he created the two worlds. And then in the end, one world felt like the idea of what God is or what the creator is, is the right thing. So then they invaded that 
made it um made it their world and then the artist in the end said well no that doesn't make sense you know so it's very cryptic but it is to do with colonization and i did it i created that film and i thought well okay i'm not too sure how far this will go but i'm being authentic to who i am and it went on and it won the royal television society in london and if you know anything about that award it is a very prestigious award and I had an experience where after I won the award, I was invited to the um, woman in, in animation in London at Trafalgar Square in a very bourgeoisie space in London. And I went in there, my film was shown. And afterwards, a little lady, old lady came to me, a British lady came to me and she said, young lady, I, my head was in my book. And then I heard your film. And I had to look up. I had to look up. And I, I asked her, well, why you had to look up? She said, because that voice I've never heard. <laughs> and uh, Maurice, that, that kind of was the stamp for me that, that told me that I have to be authentic. We have to be authentic. There's no reason why we shouldn't be authentic, because I feel if we are not authentic, then people really would not look up. You know, they, they really wouldn't look to see what we are doing. Was that sort of overall experience with seeing how your, your film was received and everything in London, did that play into your decision to then come back to Trinidad? It did in a strange, weird way, because then I could have stayed and just fit into the animation world in London, which is a huge, wonderful, beautiful, very exciting world, right? You would think. But I do feel that from there, I, I always felt like I wanted to come back because of the same thing. You never feel like you're, you should be there. You always feel like, you know. You should be here because of that. That's kind of why I decided to go back. And also, too, I know I didn't have the opportunity to do animation in the Caribbean. It's not in the curriculum. It was never in the curriculum. So I felt, okay, because I had this experience, I need to go back and support other young people like myself that will come my way as I grow older who would want to do animation and can't afford to go to London, you know. So that was a trigger also. Now, when you came back to Trinidad, I'm sort of trying to place the timeline here because it sounds like shortly after you came back, this is when you started this event now, which has gone on for pretty much almost 20 years now, Anime Caribe. Yes. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. There's a selfish reason, Maurice, a very selfish. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to go back to London, right? So that's why. And I felt, well, okay, seeing that nobody knows about this thing, there's, there were few people actually doing that. I did very, very few. And not on, you know, not on a very high professional level. I felt like when I came back and I, I tried to open the studio then and I didn't get a loan because the bank manager said basically, I don't understand what you're doing. Tell me what goes on the shelf. Tell me what is your product that goes on the shelf, mm. right? And that was when I thought, mm, I'm in trouble because what I have is not going to go on no shelf, right? It's very, very intangible. Animation yeah. is intangible. So I knew I was in problems then. So that's why I felt like I needed to create an awareness of what animation is. And that's really why Anime Carib happened. But because it was such a buzz and a lot of young people were loving it anyway, ended up going on for, for we will be celebrating our 20th anniversary next year. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell me a little bit just sort of about like what the event is, first of all. And secondly, how has it changed over the years? All right. So the event is a digital platform for animation and digital media. So it's called Anime Carib Animation and Digital Media Festival. It is the first in the region. It's a platform for content that is coming from the diaspora mainly. Of course, we share other content, but that's, that's the focus. We hunt, we hunt down content that is from the diaspora. It is celebrating our, also our artists, animators, writers, game designers from the diaspora. So if you have a conversation with Bruce Smith and you just say anime Carib, his eyes will, will light up. I'm telling you because <laughs> we celebrate, we celebrate them, right? We put them on a pedestal and there's an audience of a hundred to 200 people just lapping up what they have to say. So we celebrate black culture when it comes to animation and art. We do workshops we do events, and but also it's a it's an experience. So it's a festival that is about the experience in the Caribbean, but also celebrating 
animation. There's a lot of regional participation also. So we have Jamaican animators will be here. Barbados animators will be here. Suriname, Guyana. So it really is a melting pot. It's moved from a festival 20 years, 19 years ago, where we were struggling to even get funding to a festival now that the government supports, which is a big thing in the Caribbean because the government doesn't support much things when it comes to culture and creativity, but it, the government supports it. It has now become one. I had a conversation with Jamal Bradley. Jamal, if anybody wants to know, did a film called Substance. I would push all of you all to go and look at Substance. I'm not too sure if it's available online, but it's an amazing film. And Jamal, we had a conversation yesterday, and he, not yesterday, a few weeks ago, and he said, Camille, Anime Caribe is a place that all, Anime Caribe Festival, that all black creatives that are doing animation right now should have their, their films screened. Simply because we feel like we are celebrated. This, this is like exactly what I was saying before. Simply because we feel we are celebrated. You know, so that's kind of where it's gone to. And for the 20th anniversary, we are going to have Anime Carib in different parts of the world, even if it's online. The plan was not for it to be online, but it may have to be online. So we, we are having Anime Carib Ghana because we have a wonderful connection with Ghana. We are having Anime Caribbean Miami. We are having Anime Caribbean Bahamas, a lot of the Caribbean islands. So that's what it's grown to. So now we think that it's self-sufficient and functioning. That is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. A lot of work and a lot of other people behind the scenes. Now, with, with everything that you're doing with, I mean, you're, you're talking about this, this activism with young inmates. You're also running an animation studio. You're also basically running this festival also. How do you sort of juggle all of that and stay motivated and inspired? Yeah, that's a good question, Maurice. And I think as I'm also a mother. I'm a mother of four. I uh, have four what? Kids. Yeah. <laughs> so let me just throw that into the bucket. Yeah, just throw that in there too. <laughs> but uh, what helps is that a team really helps, but it took a long time to get a team that kind of get it because when you first start, the finances are not there, right? So a lot of people, if they're in it for the money, they're going to jump off very soon. But we've managed to keep a team that that you know that that was there from the beginning when we were really struggling, because they get it, and that team is still with me now. We struggling this year because of COVID, because funding this year has been really challenging, but it's still going on, and we know that for the twentieth anniversary. So a good team is really, really, really important. A good partner is also important, so that they understand what you're doing because it's a zoning. You zoning. If that is not so, if you don't have that partner, I, I think for me it was very important, and my children understand. So like they know that three weeks before the festival. Mummy is just zoned in. They know that. So they don't see it as mummy is ignoring them. Yeah. So that conversation I've had every year for the last 10 years when I realized that it was having an impact. And now when I say, okay, guys, Anime Caribe is in three weeks. They're like, mom, I know. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So that's it. I think a good support system is what is important. Now, have you had any like mentors or anyone that sort of also helped you out along the way? I know you talked about Bruce Smith and Jamal O'Brien and even your, your business partner, but have there been any other like peers in the industry or anyone that have kind of helped you out? Yeah. Strange enough, I have someone called um, Joan Vogelsang, who was the CEO and president of Toon Boom Animation. Canadian woman. Um, she had some connections to, to the Caribbean. Her parents lived here as a child. She's much, she's older than me. She has been a mentor. She has been really, really someone to guide me. She understands the global industry. Um, she's also on, on, on the advisory board. So she's been really, really instrumental in, in, in that sense. I also have someone here from the university that believed in me. His name is um, Professor Kenneth Julian, who I say he gave me wings when I came back to Trinidad. He himself is a star in Trinidad. He's known for as a game changer. You know, he's, he's getting old now, but I know his faculties are all there. So I still, I still love to pay tribute to him. But he gave me wings when I came here because at that time, women 
women weren't seen as front runners for animation, which still is a still is an issue. We are not front runners when it comes come to animation. But he gave me the platform to create the program at the university, and he's always been a, a mentor in that way. So yes, those are the kind of people that I think supported my goal. What advice would you give to someone out here that's like listening to this this podcast and they want to follow in your footsteps? Like they're hearing the path that you've you know, basically trailblazed, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to them? I would say if you're entering a space that, you know, you may not be necessarily welcomed because of who you are, because of the color of your skin, because of the fact that you may be female in a male dominated area or male in a female dominated area, whatever it is. I think it's important that you wear your crown. And I, and I want to explain what that means. Wearing your crown for me means that I may be shivering on the inside, but the moment I tell myself, Camille, wear your crown, you are deserving. You're supposed to be here. You're good as everybody else. What you're doing is good. You know, you, you do that self-talk to yourself. Self-talk, wearing that crown really makes a difference when you ent- enter a room. It makes you fearless. It um, strips away those feeling of inadequacy because I know we all feel it, Maurice. I don't know about you, but as a black female walking t- into a room with all white male in the industry because that's happened. I've walked into rooms where I'm the only female, I'm the only black female, I'm the only Caribbean female. And I've had to put that crown on or else I would quiver. I would quiver. And that is because of that many, many years of our trauma. I don't know if you all feel it the way that we feel it. And I know you do. Of course you do. Of course you do. But there is that trauma that we as black people walk around with. And I'm saying, okay, it's, it may be a little bit difficult to get rid of it, but one way that I do it is I wear my crown. I walk into that room, put my crown on, and I, I walk fearlessly. That's what I would say to people, walk fearlessly, because your truth is your truth. Do you have like a, a dream project or anything that you would love to do one day? Yes, I have a few. <laughs> one is um, a film an animated film, which I have a production Bible for now, and it's based on a, a character here in the Caribbean called the Mokujambi. I actually have the production Bible for it. And Mokujambi is um, a character that walk, walk on stilts, and it is a carnival character that, that during our carnival season, it's always there, it's around, and, and you have lots of children that will go up on the stilts and walk around and dance and prance. So it's a story about that. And the Mukujambi character actually goes a bit deep because it's a character that came from Ga- from West Africa. Yeah, so it's a West African story that came with us on the slave ships that I would like to create a story about, about carnival and about Caribbeanness and about that um, it's a child that has to embrace its, its culture to kind of win or not, not just win, he has to gain back his father's crown as the Mukujambi king. So that's one. The second is I've started to work on, so it's, it's actually happening. It's an animation hub at the University of Trinidad and Tobago that supports small and micro studios in the, in the Caribbean, but also that could, that will be able to outsource work for people out there who would not normally have access to an outsourcing hub in animation. So people who have, who have projects that are maybe a bit diverse and unique, we, we could offer those sort of services to, to people out there. And that is actually happening. It's going to launch in, at the end of October. So anybody who wants to know more about that, we're definitely looking into partnerships. We're actually speaking to a few big black-run studios. Yes, black-run studios. There are some. But there's one particular one we're speaking to now. I can't say much about it, about that kind of collaboration. Very cool. One question that I'm asking every guest on the show this year, and I'll ask you this question as well, is how are you using your skills to help build a more equitable future? Yeah, that's a good, that's a fabulous question. I do feel that we have to create balance, right? That's my feeling. That's my mantra. We have to create balance. It cannot continue like this. And one of the ways I am doing it is being able to use my voice and being able to use the institution that I work for, which is the University of Trinidad and Tobago, to partner with big institutions to create platforms, to support projects, to support ideas. 
Yeah, so that is happening, and that is a partnership between the university and the Inter-American Development Bank. We are also talking to other Caribbean Export Development Bank, so therefore we get the funding to create that opportunity for small businesses. So we are saying, even if you may be a design studio, whether it be in America, in Grenada, or Trinidad, that you have the talent and the skill to really create a nice idea project, and it looks wonderful, and it reaches world status as far as look and feel, that we then could try to support you to make it a reality. And of course, the funding and all of that will need to be, that has to be, that has to happen, but we will create, be able to support you with, with resources, with software, with hardware, even with our students. That's the kind of equity we are, that's the kind of platform we are creating for, for support for small and micro enterprise, not just in the Caribbean, globally. So I think that is one physical way. That is one. The other way, of course, is the work that I do in the prisons because I really, really feel that we could create a support system for those guys and those females because I also deal with the women that when they come out here, they actually could kind of see it differently and, and even look at these kind of areas for careers. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like it's, it's 2025. Hopefully mm-hmm. all this pandemic mess is well behind us. Right. Like what kind of work do you see yourself doing? Okay. So I'm going to be really honest with you here, Maurice, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's, and it's not going to be what you think it is, but I, I really feel like I need to, to go, go to find my space that is away from everyone. Like I literally started, I have my land, so I'm building up in the bushes, <laughs> in the Caribbean, up on the hill, right? In the Caribbean, surrounded by my animals. I love chickens. I love, love dogs. I love cats, planting, but where I actually have a space that I could continue to tell my stories. I really want to, within the next five years, set up the foundation so that I can let it go. Hmm. So basically, like, create your legacy and then move on. Yeah. Yes. That's it. Honestly, that's it. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've done this show for almost eight years. I think that is the first time someone has said something to that effect. Yeah, that's it. And I've started doing it. I've started prepping. I've started looking at people that I could pass the baton on to. Mm-hmm. So there's different elements that I know if I move away now, it's going to I don't want this to sound arrogant, but if I move away from certain elements, it's going to die. So I have to make sure that we have people to prop it up that when yeah. I do move away that it lives. Yeah. So passing on the baton is what I'm doing at the moment. I don't think that's arrogant. The reason I say that, you know, because I can see where you're coming from with that viewpoint, because you've been doing this now for, I mean, pretty much almost 20 years. You've been, from what I can tell, from what you're telling me, like the face of animation in Trinidad, like you've, Mm -hmm. you're working on an educational level, you're working on a community level, you're working on this activism level, and it's tiring. That yeah, work tires you out. And, yeah. you, you know, and even if you have the support system around you to prop you up, like eventually mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like you want to have time for just you. So I, I get it. I yeah. understand a hundred percent. Yeah. And also to be creative because I still want to create films. Yeah. I can't, I can't create films now. There's no way I could create a film now. So that's also part of it. Yeah. Like you have to free up space to be able to do more things, especially if you know that you have that in you to still do. Like yes. you can't keep doing the same projects yeah. forever. Like I, I, when I did the Black Weblog Awards, I did it from 2004 to 2011 and I sold it and people were like, why would you sell it? And at the time I was like, look, I'm turning 30. There's more stuff that I want to do and I can't keep focusing on this because I'm not able to let it sort of grow past the stage that it is. And so we sold it and another company took it on and I had the space to create revision path. So (laughs) you you have to empty the cup and fill it back, you know, there you go. There you go. Exactly. Well, Camille, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Maurice. This was, this was also, also kind of for me, letting, letting things out now during COVID is really important. And this was a, a wonderful platform to let things out. So thank you for that. You can find a lot of the information about me on my personal website called camillesalvon.com. If you just go onto that, you will get all the different areas 
and also communicate with me that way. All right. Sounds good. Well, Camille Selvan Abrahams, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and really for sharing your story and everything that you're doing. I mean, aside from the the animation part, which I do think is very important, just the other underlying messages about we don't need to ask permission to tell our stories and to also build up this kind of diasporic network. Those things are so important and so crucial to us as black creatives. It's, it's a, a key part of what I do here with Revision Path. So I'm glad to see that you also sort of have that vision and that you're putting it out there in the world and making an impact. So I hope in five years, you've got that land and you're <laughs> doing your own thing. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I appreciate what you do and keep going. You're doing awesome. Big, big thanks to Camille Selvan Abrahams. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Camille and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you looking for some creative consulting for your next project? Then let's do lunch. Visit us at yepitslunch.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of this episode? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better, like CS Running Man, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, of course, that'll be great. I'll even read your review right here on the show. As always, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.